Well, hey guys, we are waiting for Doug Bogley. He's going to come and he's going to introduce us, but <laughs> since he's not quite here yet, we may start, because I, I know this hour is going to fly by, because I want to have a ton of time for Q&A. This is the subject that my wife, Melinda, Melinda, would you stand up? Hello. We just love talking about microchurch. We love dreaming about new ways of what God wants to do uh, in different forms of church. We really believe that there are going to be more and more open doors for people getting involved in church that may look different than how we've experienced church in the past. And I just love the fact that our district is open to thinking about new thoughts. And they're actually excited about it. Whenever Doug Bogley and I get together, he is, uh, he is like the biggest cheerleader for thinking about new ways of doing church. And it's, it's really a blast. But my background, just to fill you in a little bit about who I am, like I mentioned, my name is Trent Redman. And I have been uh, a traditional church planter. I did a, well, I'll do my whole journey here. Start, went to North Central University, graduated with a pastoral studies degree. After that was a youth pastor in Wisconsin, go Packers, for, uh, yes, for, uh, for seven years. Had just, that's where I met Melinda, that's where we get, got married. After that, I helped out a friend of mine with a, a church plant in Egan. It was a four square church, did that for just a short while, enough to say I would never plant a church. And then sure enough, talked with Pastor Clarence St. John and ended up planting a church in Woodbury. Um, and did that for 15 years. Just had so many amazing memories of all the things that we had a chance to experience through a traditional, attractional church. And it was a blast. Then our church, we merged together with River Valley, and I became the campus pastor in Woodbury. And we led that expression of River Valley, learned so much about what's it like to be in a church with multiple thousands of people and, and thinking through that. And then God did some cool things in our lives as we're leading a missions trip that we'll talk about in just a moment that really helped us to see some new ways of doing church that we had never even heard about, never even um, knew existed until we saw this being lived out in another country. And it made us think, wow, is this something that is possible? Is this something that could even happen here? And, and sure enough, it is. And sure enough, uh, God is doing some amazing things right now in a brand new way. So um, I'm going to introduce Melinda. Melinda, would you come up here and um, maybe just uh, share a little bit of your background too, like where you, um, maybe just where, where you grew up. Everyone loves where you're from. So. I'm from Montana. I thought, oh no, he's saying I'm from Wisconsin. We met in Wisconsin. Yes, yay for Montana. So I'm from there. He actually, for those of you who know Doug and Vicki Graham, that's my sister and brother-in-law. And so he was their youth pastor yes. in Wisconsin. I went to visit my sister and met him during the greeting time in church. So church is very important. Yes, yes. So yes, so that's how we got connected. Um, but yeah, so just kind of, so you know, especially for those personalities, my personality, I like to know where people are going with what we're talking about. So we realize you, some of you are like, sign me up, I am in, tell me some practical steps, what I can do. And some of you are like, what is this whole thing about? So we're gonna share a little bit of how this came about for us, a little bit of the philosophy, and then hit some really practical topics and then hopefully have some time for Q&A. So that's yeah. kind of where we're at. But. So I'm curious, how many of you, first of all, ask this question, how many of you have ever heard us talk about microchurch before? Anyone? Okay. Oh, a couple of couple you. A couple of you. And we had coffee oh. last week. So you, yeah. <laughs> um, okay. 
because I just want to make sure I don't repeat myself if you heard us before. So I'll, we'll make sure we hit some of the key things in the beginning of our story. Um, one of the things that I love about my time at River Valley is their passion for missions. Yeah. And I love that they are passionate about sending missionaries out of their church. They want to have 500 missionaries being sent from River Valley. And so we were leading a missions trip to Thailand, and we didn't expect to be impacted so greatly on the, the trip that we were leading. Um, in the way that we were. <laughs> and in the way that we were. Because uh, we were going, we were in Lampong, Thailand, which is to the south of Chiang Mai. And it was this community that had just a handful of believers. I mean, literally, we, literally four or five believers yeah. in a, a region of like 50 or 60,000 people. Yeah. And in, in Bangkok, there's a few more believers, but in these outlying cities, there's like and many towns have no believers. So we were in this one city that had four believers. <laughs> so, so we began, began to hang out with the missionaries and learning their strategy of how do you reach people who have no idea uh, about the gospel? They yeah. have no idea what a church is like. They have no idea about the message of Jesus. What do you do? And no Bibles, obviously. Yeah, no Bibles. So it was, it was fascinating to see what they did. It was interesting to see like, what our, t our team got involved in. Mm -hmm. And really, one of the big things that we did is we had to learn how to play uh, badminton. That was like, we went to the park, played badminton, met people. That was like, That's their that was outreach. their main connection point with people. And then we had a chance to see what church looked like. And we went to their home, and we didn't know what to expect. But we saw this this version of micro church or home church or simple church that captivated our heart because my whole life has been full-time ministry uh, leading a church um, you know, and, and I love the American church because I that's what I've invested so much of my life into and I'm all about it I think it's wonderful but then I saw a different expression of church and I realized as we were sitting in this room and as we were together with just maybe 15 people in a, in, in a smaller home, we sensed the presence of the Lord in such a powerful way. So I wanted Melinda just to share a little bit from her, her perspective of what we saw when we went, went to Thailand. Yeah, I mean, you kind of did, yeah, covered a little bit of it. Yep. But uh, one of the first questions people ask is, isn't it just like a small group? What's the difference between a small group or a microchurch? And so we went into their church situation in a home, and we had a simple guitar, and we did worship, and then we talked about the Bible. And we're going to go into the practice of how that works out uh, a little bit later, so we'll do that now. But had amazing Bible discussion, and then shared a meal afterwards. And when we, even maybe during the meal and the conversation, I think we looked at each other and just said, this uh, this is really special. This is what, this is how, this is the church I want to be a part of. This is how I want to go to church because the presence of the Lord was, I mean, not that it's not in a regular church, but just in this specific setting, the presence of the Lord was so real, so valid, and so uh, specific to each person there 
and there's many other things that happened too, but we just knew like this was something different that we felt like we needed to be a part of. And honestly, we came back and we thought maybe we're supposed to go overseas and help do microchurch training and be a part of that. We uh, were able to meet a bunch of different people who are planting literally tens of thousands of churches in Nepal and uh, India, and we thought maybe we were supposed to go there because we had never seen it done here and we thought it couldn't happen. And somebody uh, talked to us one Sunday after church and said, you know, I'd like to just have church, like literally out of the blue, I'd like to have church in your living room. And it was literally like God hit me on the head with a hammer like, oh, maybe we could do this in America. Like it was such a foreign concept to be in America and do a different model of church. And so, yeah, basically the floodgates opened and we just had all these different uh, dreams and connections with people and we'll kind of share some of those things, but. Yeah. um, So the three things that I I just am categorized in this whole introduction with is when I started to think about microchurch, it expanded my view of what could happen. I began to have a bigger view of ministry, a bigger view of church, and a bigger view of discipleship. Yeah. I mean, this, this idea, let me just share this. When I was um, planting my regular American model of church, in my mind, the, the ultimate dream was if we'd have a thousand people and if we begin to do multiple sites of a thousand people. That's kind of what I thought. That's kind of the dream that's in your mind of this could be amazingly successful and God could do great things through that. You're reaching lots of people. And, and so you have that in your mindset. And once God, got, once God got a hold of my heart and began to help me rethink what church could be, I began to just flip those numbers around. And I thought, what if, what if I could be a part somehow of a thousand churches of 10 people? What could happen for God's kingdom? Because what I've discovered as I've been studying church growth movements all over the world is that a large church, and we need them, but a large church that plants another church of a thousand typically takes a long time. Mm -hmm. And what happens with these micro churches is that they're like rabbits. They multiply like crazy. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, the thing is, is that micro church is not glamorous in the beginning. You know, we, we have four different locations of micro church. That's not glamorous. That's not, you know, that's not the headline of Christianity today. You know, it's, but long term, Mm -hmm. I am so convinced that this type of movement, which is happening in many, many networks all across the United States right now, Mm -hmm. is what is going to turn the tide of connecting people who need to know about Jesus. But for whatever reason, they're not walking through the doors of the regular church in America. The power of multiplication is just really, really powerful. At the beginning, it's going to be slow, but then it's going to snowball. Uh, I believe I have no statistics to back this up, but I would say almost, I mean, think of this if this is possible, maybe with the exception of Seattle, Portland, Boston, <laughs> I, wouldn't you say that almost every neighborhood in America has maybe one Christian? I mean, I, I would think we have multiple people in our neighborhood who we find out are Christians and they're undercover. Like you don't even know yeah. that they're Christians, but I would bet most neighborhoods have at least one Christian. What if one Christian in every neighborhood started praying for their neighbors and hosted a microchurch? 
I, I believe there could be just dramatic revival in America yes. if we all took action and intentionally were hospitable to our neighbors. Right. Anyway, no, I'm that's, ahead that's of right on. And, and one of the things that was impactful for me is just a, a, a mind shift, two different things. One was I was always very focused on how can I get my neighbors to come to my church? Yeah. You know, I want to get them to come into the church, church service that I worked hard on. You know, I, I, I hired some great musicians. We had top-notch music. We, I wanted them to be there and experience the presence of the Lord. And then I realized, what if people came into my living room and they experienced the presence of the Lord? And they didn't have to go 10 miles to church. I mean, they could literally walk down the street to our church and still experience the same presence of the Lord without what I had worked so hard to do in the past. And there's nothing wrong with all those wonderful things because I still, I, I love going to a, a really well done church service. I mean, I, I really do. Um, we have some amazing churches and I'm friends with so many of our pastors in the city of Woodbury where I live. And what I love about big minded pastors is they realize that we're all trying to reach people for Jesus. Mm -hmm. We don't want to steal people from other churches. We want to we want to find people that are not going to the traditional church and mm -hmm. give them a way to connect to Jesus that they're not going to get because one of the things where where people are getting farther and farther away from from Christian culture. I mean, it used to be where Billy Graham could go and share and people had a basic yeah. understanding of Christianity and they weren't living it but they knew the stories they were there was some biblical literacy and what I'm discovering now is there's no mm -hmm. biblical literacy they don't they don't mm -hmm. like the church they like Jesus but they don't know anything about the Bible and and so one of the things that is powerful about this new way of doing church is we copied what we saw happening in Thailand uh, literally how they did church was on a bookmark and it was a process it was a, a term i had never heard about until i came back and started to do the research because in all my conferences all the big church conferences i go to no one talked about this but then i found out missionaries across the globe mm -hmm. are seeing dramatic results and here's the term it's called discovery bible study DBS, Discovery Bible Study. I, I had never heard about that after 25 years in full-time ministry, never heard about it. And then I came back and started to build some friendships with people who were doing this. Um, one of my friends, David Nelms, uh, he leads an amazing organization called the, the Timothy Initiative. And he, he's, he's not an AG guy, although um, he's part of the Converge group. But he said um, now in his life, after planting two churches, one in, one in Iowa, one in Florida, both over 2,000 people. Now he devotes his life towards microchurch. And he said what he's doing is he's taking Converge money, Baptist money, and he's planting Assemblies of God churches overseas because it takes the power of the Spirit because to do overseas, what we're talking yeah. about. Yep. And he said, I mean, in the, in the past 10 years, they planted 100,000 microchurches. 100,000 microchurches. And now that they're at that level, the power of multiplication, mm -hmm. it, it just snowballs. It doesn't, t when you start out and you have four groups, it may take another year until, or two until we have eight groups. 
And it may take you know, another couple years after that to have 16, but then when you truly have this, this heart of multiplication that is being trained up in leaders who are leading these groups, and these leaders are they're volunteers. Um, when, when you have that kind of a mindset and a passion to reach a neighborhood, it is powerful. It is powerful to see people's hearts. I, I have some video clips we'll watch towards the end here of, of some of our, our leaders, just some of the stories about what they're experiencing in, in their locations. Um, anything else about, the, about neighborhoods, about ministry? Maybe share a little bit about some of the ideas, and these are still things that we're working on, just some of the crazy ideas that God placed on your heart about reaching our neighborhood. Oh, dear. <laughs> Uh, I am an introvert. I am not an extrovert. Uh, we moved into a new neighborhood when we started, uh, mainly because we wanted a bigger house so we could do this, specifically to have more people over. And uh, I, I just felt like the Lord told me, you need to go and knock on everybody, everybody's door in your neighborhood. And I thought, oh, I don't do that. And especially in Minnesota, you don't do that because that's weird. And uh, I couldn't get away from it. And I came home one day crying. I'm like, okay, I will. I'll do it. And, uh, and I wasn't going to invite them to church per se first, but just over for dessert. Um, and I went to 42 homes in our neighborhood. And the, oh, I ended up having, I'm trying to remember the very first time. Did I have, I can't remember. Like, I think I had 20-some, 24 people come. I just invited women the very first time. And I just had dessert monthly at our house, and then I do, like, games or an event or whatever to get to know women because nobody in our neighborhood knows anybody. I don't know about your neighborhood, but it's, you know. So intentionally, my point I'm saying that is to intentionally figure out ways to connect with your neighbors, connect with people, and there's all sorts of ways to do that. You do not need to do that. That's just what the Lord put on my heart that I needed to do. Um, I did, did have my worst fear happen. Um, it like traumatized my day, but it was okay. I actually had Joel, Joel walked around with me. This is our oldest son. He walked around with me that day and I handed out invites and I did have a lady scream at me to get off her door and off her lawn. And that was what I was actually fearful of. And I'm like, God, why did you, I'm doing this. And like, but it all worked out and I smile at her every time I see her and she's still kind of, whatever. But it's all good because I ended up, I ended up, and I thought, nobody's going to come, like, whatever. But I had all these, I have all these women, and I thought, okay, the Satan, because she was like the third or fourth house that I talked to, and I almost went home, and I did it. And so, yeah. anyway, just intentionally building connection with right. people. But One of the, We were at a, a meeting. We had to uh, take our, our time out of our conference here a couple nights ago. I'm involved in another organization serve on the board of Transform Minnesota, which is a great organization. It's like the Association of Evangelicals from Minnesota. And they brought in a guy who was probably one of the best thought leaders I've ever heard talk about Jesus, talk about the status of where the church is at. So Walter Kim, who's the president of the National Association of Evangelicals, shared a number of great things. But one thing I want to share with you is he said, in the age that we are in right now with church, in this age of hostility, that is so, I mean, we, we, we can all sense it. There is so much hostility, not in, the, in our church, but in our community, right? We're, we're, I mean, Culture. all you got to do is say the wrong thing, and man, you are slammed on social media, or you are slammed in person if you don't say the right thing, if you aren't taking the right cultural stance. In this age of hostility, he said, we need radical hospitality. And I thought that is so right on. And that's part of what we're experiencing, mm -hmm. is that we are, 
we believe that radical hospitality is one of the things that God is going to use to expand his kingdom in America. And one of the things that, if you read through the lists in Titus, and we don't talk about this much when we do credentialing interviews, um, but it's right there in the list. If you're going to be a leader, you're supposed to be someone who is hospitable, who has, has the gift of hospitality. We make sure those other things are you know, on track, but we often don't talk about, are you hospitable? Are people in your community, do they think highly of you? Are, are you? are you connected in a loving way with your neighbors? And that's one of the things that when I was lead pastoring, I didn't have much time for because all of my time was involved with making sure Sunday is going to happen and making sure it's going to be good, which is good because that's where I was investing my time. I was talking to one pastor recently. Actually, I wasn't talking to him. Now, this is, I was reading a book from a pastor right now, and he said, he said that he has allowed 20% of the time for his full-time staff to purposefully not be in the church building. And he wants them to be engaged with their community so they can truly, so that means they may have to cut back. He was saying that they're, mm-hmm. like even, even their, their production guy, what they did is uh, instead of always producing videos for their intros every single week, he said one, one week out of the month, they would use, they just purchased a, a canned video intro to free up extra time so that their video production person would have time to build relationships with those that don't know Jesus and to try to be a neighbor and love their neighborhood. I thought that's really powerful. That's a really great step to take. Um, and because I, I know in, in this room, I know it's challenging because we're talking about, I'm probably talking to a lot of people who are, you know, maybe. Maybe you are volunteering. Maybe you are employed by the church. And, and what I'm talking about for what we're doing is radical. Because I'm, I, I'm a co-vocational person now. Um, and most of my ministry life, that was not the case. But God has blessed me with uh, an amazing job that I love doing. Where In my, my case, I'm, I'm helping to get discipleship material to different missions organizations from the Salvation Poem Foundation. It's a great organization. That's my day job. That's how I'm paid. That's, my, that's how I, I, I'm getting a salary. Everything I do for microchurch, I'm doing for free. Our, our philosophy, and, and we're still working through this. I have an amazing board. We, we started Crowded House Church. If you want to check out our website, it's, co- it's called crowdedhouse.church. Crowdedhouse.church. Um, my board is made up of Doug Vogley, yeah, Roger Stacy, and Craig Kestner and myself. So we're dreaming these kind of crazy thoughts of what could happen. What could this look like? And, and, and we're even talking about some of the financial structures of what, what could this look like. And there's lots of different ways it could look like. We're taking a kind of a radical idea. And, and honestly, sometimes they're saying this is a little too, too extreme. But you know, we've often heard that churches, if they're really doing some good things, they're, they're tithing on their general fund towards missions. Well, I thought, what if we... What if eventually we'll have to hire like a bookkeeper and we have to, you know, run the, process, the credit card processing fees or whatever? But what if we just, what if we have our whole organization live on 10% and we give away 90%? Because there's no facility cost. I mean, you guys know how church works. I mean, I mean by the time that you uh, pay your staff and by the time that you pay your facility, there's not much margin left in the budget. And you ha- may have, you know, 10% that you can give towards missions or, you know, 
we want to turn it upside down and think what could happen with extravagant generosity where half of that 90% goes towards local outreach, half of that goes towards the world. What could we see happen for missions? What could we see happen to support our missionaries? What could we see happen? Um, and, and so we're, we're working towards that. A lot of, some of our groups um, right now, they either have a, a particular project that they're just choosing to invest in directly, which is great. Others are going through the 501c3, you know, the organization, the official Crowded House Church giving, and, uh, and then we let each group decide how they want to use those 90%, that 90% to impact the world through world missions or local missions. So that's kind of one of the things that we're doing. We I'm lot, rambling. Go ahead. I know. Sorry. Here's something else. As I'm thinking about bigger view of, of church, I was listening um, to John Maxwell. You all know who John Maxwell is, right? John Maxwell was sharing at Church of the Highlands, and I happened to catch this online, and it was one of those key moments. I was just thinking about microchurch, and then he said this. He said, to, it was primarily a group of pastors for a conference, and Is he said, there are 53% of your community, no matter what you do, they are never going to come to your church. 53% of your community, no matter how cool of an event you do, no matter what, I mean, I, I tried to do some cool stuff. I mean, I, we did, I mean, we had 70,000 Easter eggs we dropped from a helicopter. We had big Easter egg, re, we did lots of stuff. We had, we had 7,000 people go for the, you know, Easter egg thing and like, 10 come to church the next Sunday, but, but, it, but we tried to be really creative back in, our, back in our traditional, attractional church thing. But he said, 53%, even if you do the cool egg drop, even if you do all the cool marketing campaigns, they're checked out. They're not going to come. What are you doing yeah. to reach them, reach those people? Are we just going to say, you can go to hell because you're not fitting our, our marketing plan? Or are we willing to rethink different ways of doing church, not at all giving up on what we are currently doing, because we need that. There's 47% of our community are going to go through those doors and, and perhaps come. But 53% aren't. And John Maxwell said, if, he said, if I'd be speaking to a bunch of business leaders, yeah. they wouldn't even wait for yeah. this conference to be over. If they knew there was a market that was untapped, they'd be heading out the door, mm -hmm. figuring out how do you reach that market. Mm -hmm. And we don't we're kind of stuck in our way yeah. we know the system we go to the conferences we hear the same thing and then all of a sudden once in a while you get exposed to a new idea of doing things differently that perhaps God is going to use in a brand new way and hopefully maybe just as we talk today this is just one of those moments where you're going to be challenged to at least be open to the idea that God could call you and maybe Maybe, maybe your church as well, mm -hmm. into some new ways of doing ministry that you've never thought of before. On a side note, just to off of that, just if you're thinking, okay, I'm a traditional pastor, but this also sounds interesting. We actually went to a conference <clears throat> in New Jersey, just as a side note, you can talk to us later with more yeah. details, of a church who, this was on a pastor's heart, their church had been stagnated at around 200 for like seven years or something like that, and they just could not... 
get any new growth or excitement and he had the vision for this but also felt called to still do traditional church. He does a hybrid of both and they are like over a thousand people between the two types of ways doing church and it's a beautiful thing. So if it that's is. something you're inter interested in, I'm it just is. saying that's out and, there. There's and what's all interesting sorts of models out is there. Is that w as he leads basically two organizations, yeah. one is a he had 40 microchurches that have about 500 people involved now. And then at the same time, his regular attractional church grew from 250 to 750 during mm -hmm. that same time period. Within so, like two years. So both groups, he's leading yeah. over 1,000 people because that 500 never come to his attractional church. But Anyway, I just wanted you to know that that's a Here's another thing I want you to catch. Alan Hirsch, um, I should have written down the name of the book. I can't think of it right now. Alan Hirsch wrote an amazing book about like ancient ways or something like that. He, in that book, he says, 40% of Americans are willing to try our current model of church. And so that's even lower than the 47 that I quoted earlier from, um, uh, so 40%. More than 90% of our churches are trying to reach the same 40%. Mm -hmm. That challenged me as well. That man, I want to be about reaching those that other churches aren't reaching. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, ah, thank beautiful. you. The Forgotten yes, Ways, yes. Alan Hirsch. The red cover on it. That's, yeah. All right. Alan I'll Hirsch. I have time for Q&A, too. So. Yeah, sorry. sorry. I, I love talking about this. Um, but just so you know, microchurch, it's not, about, it's not about building small group programs. I mean, I love small groups. But this is different than that. Here's the crazy thing. With microchurch movements, what happens is this. When you disciple people, Someone from that group that you were discipling typically gets raised up to lead another generation of microchurches beyond that group. And you don't have everyone even come back to the same microchurch. Instead, you continue to multiply over. That's the, where the power comes in. If you think you've got to draw everyone back into what you're doing on Sunday morning, it's not going to multiply and it's not going to have the kingdom impact like, like God intended. Because when you start looking through the New Testament and you see what Jesus did, man, it's radically different than what we do today. And I love what we do today, but we don't have to feel guilty. The first time we did this, the first week, I felt guilty. I thought, I didn't spend 20 hours working on my sermon. Because we'll share how, what we do. I, there's, not, there's not this preaching thing. It's, it's, it's discussion. It's focus on Scripture. Sorry, I, I will. I'll let you talk. I'll make sure I'm not missing stuff in my notes here. But it's, so it's not just that, it's multiplying microchurches to truly go to the ends of the earth. When we were in New Jersey, they had four people come up on stage and the first guy had started a, a microchurch out of their church. And then they had someone who got saved and this person a year later, he gets up and he talks about how he was reaching out into you know, this other part of town, which was kind of a scary part of town to be in. And, someone gets saved from that group. And the guy who got saved was living in a homeless shelter. So there's another church launched in the homeless shelter in the middle of New Jersey. And then this guy is sharing about someone else in the homeless shelter who just came to Jesus. That's the power of multiplication that can only happen when you go out instead of telling everyone to come to you. We have our first grandchild starting... Our, you know, our, our churches are our babies, and we have one that's now trained up a leader, and they're just going to be starting within about a month or so. And so it's really fun when that happens. Yeah. Anyway. So we have a bigger view of discipleship, of disciple-making. 
I'm all about disciple making more than ever in my life. That's why I originally got into ministry, thinking I'm just going to have all this time to connect with people and make disciples. But I realized that often what I really ended up doing was designing programs where I could have people go through and make sure they're taking the classes. And, and that's not really, I mean, there's some wonderful things that happen there. But what I love is truly investing time with people. To truly have, to share my life with other people. And when you do that, you can take the pressure off of feeling like you have to save the world, because obviously it's Jesus, but it's not you. You are pouring into a few people, and if you're doing it right, you're doing it like Jesus. Jesus had 12, but really he was hanging out with three most of the time. And I often have asked myself, who are the three that I'm pouring into the most? Mm-hmm. And I want, I'm having all of our, our four microchurches asking themselves, who are the three mm-hmm. that they're pouring into? And it makes this crazy vision of reaching the world so much more realistic when we realize the power of just reaching out to three people and truly trying to create disciples who are going to be able to reproduce. I had the idea when I was church planting, I don't know where I got it from, but I thought, if I plant a church, then I'll make disciples. When I realized the truth of what I'm seeing in the New Testament is when you make disciples, you always create a church. But if you just start a church, you don't always make disciples. But the converse is, 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 is not true. Um, I have some stats, again, from that Ellen Hirsch book about how the early church grew from 25,000 to 20 million in 70 years. I'm not exactly sure where Alan Hirsch gets his numbers from, but hey, he's an author, so I'll quote him. <laughs> and then he also says the church in China grew from 2 million to 120 million in 70 years. And you know when those movements were happening? It was in disorganized religion. Yeah. It wasn't when everything got codified and perfect, mm-hmm. but when there was oppression, when there was persecution, when they were being spread out, and then they kept on starting all these different types of communities organically. And it was amazing what God was doing. One of my favorite verses that I think of when I think about microchurch is in First Thessalonians 2 way. It says, because, because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. I wanted to do that, and I wasn't always able to in my full-time ministry world because most of my time was being spent with my leaders, right? And, and we, we need to. You can't, I mean, you have a limited amount of time. I have five kids. Life is busy. Um, but when you have a simple structure, all of a sudden I get a chance to truly live this out, to truly share with people and show them the love of Jesus. And every time I'm in a relationship with someone who's growing as a disciple, Honestly, I, I'm growing a lot from them as well because they're asking some great questions. They're asking a lot of raw questions that don't always get asked mm-hmm. during a Sunday morning service. Yeah. And it gets a little messy. It gets a little bit... Um, when you have honest questions and honest feedback and when people don't always say the right thing, it's, it's so healthy and it's so good. But it's messy. It's messy. Um, all right. Looking through, making sure I don't want to miss some key things before we go into some questions. 
what we'd like to do maybe a little bit is explain what we do for church. What does microchurch look like? What's on that bookmark that we copied and realized that it's a, it's a worldwide movement and we thought it was unique to this one group? Um, Melinda, could you just kind of walk us through a little bit of what a Sunday morning looks like? Yeah, um, we do happen to meet at our home. We do call it microchurch. Uh, a lot of people say, why, why microchurch yeah, why micro-church? and not house church or home church? Uh, there's a few reasons we do that really briefly. You don't have to meet in a home. We want to get that idea out of people's heads. We know people who meet in real estate offices, in community rooms at their apartment buildings. One of our, our church in Duluth, they meet in a boxing ring. Um, because that's where he works and they have a teeny tiny apartment and that works. So literally the sky's the limit. So it's micro church to get away from that it has to be in a house. That said, I personally love it in a house because it just is very conducive to that hospitality, uh, you know, mode that we're trying to bring. Um, And the other thing is home church, honestly, I maybe not so much Gen Z or uh, maybe millennials, I don't know, but the older generations, my, Gen Xers or boomers, I think have a lot of bad connotations with home church or house church because in the past, it's honestly, frankly meant, well, they don't like regular church and so they're doing this holy huddle of themselves and that's just the connotation that's in there and we wanna break that because we are for American traditional church, but we're for another way to reach people who aren't gonna maybe walk through those doors. So we're just trying to break that mentality. And the point is we are all about being on mission and reaching out. We're not trying to just, oh, just stay with ourselves and discuss the Bible for the next 20 years. We're intentionally trying to reach our neighbors. So it's just a little bit of a mind switch that we're trying to convey with that. Um, what was the original question? Oh, what, what we is, do. What does it look like? Yes. So, uh, when everybody comes in, I mean, we meet Sunday mornings during the summer. Okay, side note, beautiful thing about being in Minnesota. For years, we would joke about during the summer, we need to have church on Monday night or uh, Thursday night because everybody would be gone up north on the weekend and nobody's there on Sundays, right? Is anybody else church that way? So beautiful thing about home, ch- or home church, micro church, is that during the summer, we actually meet on Thursday night because everybody in our group goes up north. The first weekend we didn't have church on Sunday, we're like, oh, we felt so guilty. <laughs> like, we're not at church, but we had church, but everyone was gone. And so it's a beautiful thing is you can meet any, you know, you can meet when it's conducive for your group of people. But anyway, normally we meet on Sunday mornings. So uh, we have, um, be- the beautiful thing is there's just, it's more of an extended time of relationship and family community building. But we start out, there's three main components. The first component is what we call looking back. So we say this week, and you'll see at the end how this all comes in a circle. This week, how, how did you see God at work in your life? How did God move? What happened in your life this week? Tell me about what happened. Or if we have guests who maybe weren't there the previous week, it's what are you thankful for in your life this week if they're not, if they're not saved or whatever. What are you thankful for? Thankful for what God did. So we talk about that. And it's conducive because you'll see at the end, our final question, we usually talk about what happened last week. And in that front section, sometimes we do uh, a worship song. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes we have communion. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes, I mean, we've done water baptisms. That's really the next thing. Yeah, Yeah. I was going to say. Then we have different forms of worship. We'll do guitar or piano or we'll do a YouTube video or we will... uh, 
watch a nature thing that we've even done that, that people took and they said, hey, this week it really spoke to me. I was up north and all these pictures and just the grandness of God. So there's different ways that we'll kind of do this worship component. And then um, after that, we get into the Bible portion. And this is uh, what we had never seen done. In Thailand, they are radical because they do not have the Bible. They memorize, whoever the leader is, memorizes the passage that they go through that week verbatim, the whole passage memorized. We are not that radical. We tried it at like, first. Like two or three paragraphs. But we're talking like, yeah. you know, the whole story of whatever. And it was wild. We, we, we are not that saintly. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, we, we couldn't do it. We read it. So we read it. So we read the passage. Then occasionally we'll have somebody read it in a different version, depending on if there's some things that we're like, hmm, didn't quite understand that. But here's the beautiful thing. Somebody retells it from memory. Now, this is, a, this is just a beautiful thing. And often our kids or different kids that we have love to retell it. They are so good at it. They love it. They do way better than most of the adults. Uh, I, I like to read because then I don't have to retell. I, I'm always scared of that part. Yes. The beautiful thing is when you're listening to possibly be the one to retell it, there's something that happens. I don't know. You focus better. You just remember it. And then we go through it. We have a list of key questions um, that we kind of go through. The main questions are, help me like say this correctly, yeah. How do, where do you see God in the story or, or Jesus? What do you see God doing here? What do you see, uh, what can we learn from that? What do we see people doing or Satan at work or yep. uh, some of those types of things? And then ultimately, what is this going to make a difference in my life? Why should I even care? What, what is this telling me? to do with my life. And there's more questions than we have that, that but those are ultimately the three that we're yeah, getting at. One of the very, the application questions that I, I like to use, especially if there's someone in the room who's, yes, who's there because they're curious about the Bible and they want to learn more about the Bible, but they may come mm -hmm. and they're not ready to say the Bible's the word of God yet, but they like to learn about the Bible. Mm -hmm. And so one of the questions we'll use at the end is if this story was true, obviously I believe it's true, but we'll say if this story was true, how would it impact how you live your life? Mm -hmm. And it allows them... Because it allows them to talk. To, to talk. It allows them to give feedback, even if they're not to the point of saying, the Bible's inspired word of God. If they're not there yet, they can still begin to think through, how mm -hmm. does this impact how they live? Yeah, no, okay. exactly. Um, and so because of that, then there's some sort of practical aspect that usually will say like, because of this, I will, whatever, action step this week. And that's a lot of that first question, what are we thankful for this week, or how do we see God at work? It usually comes back with what we said the previous week, that God worked this, you know, this out in my life this week, and here's how. The amount of miracles and healings that we have, guys, I did not see this probably ever. Uh, as far as the quantity, it's wild. Uh, it's really important. It's part of the discipleship process is just teaching people how to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit and how to take action on that. And it just, that's part of, yeah. part of a focus, I guess yeah, you could yeah. say. And then at the end, then we do uh, prayer and we spend a significant time in prayer depending on who's there. Um, and then after prayer, we do a meal together. And when we meet in the summer, we do dinner first. Everybody's coming from work. We do meal, then we do church. Sunday mornings we do church and then we do a meal. The meal portion, and some not every micro church that we know does a meal. Maybe they just do coffee or whatever, and that's fine. For us, Acts 2.42, we, we feel the meal is important because so much of the spiritual conversation from what we talked about is continued over the meal. And we've just seen amazing, just amazing truths come alive to people. And 
um, yeah. We, we really be we believe that there's power in not just learning, but in doing. And we encourage everyone yeah. to not just be great with head knowledge of the Bible, but you got to live it out. If you are not truly doing this to the point where you, the goal is, is not to make disciples. Our goal is to make disciples who make disciples. So we want every person who comes to be able to actually make other disciples. It doesn't stop with one generation. They got to be trained that the biggest, that they need to know the biggest thing they can do with their life is to invest it in making other disciples. The most powerful thing for a believer is not to be on the board. The most powerful thing for someone to do is to truly make other disciples. You should be on the board. That's a wonderful thing. We need wisdom on our board. But that shouldn't be where it ends. It's not just about creating a great organization. We are to make disciples who make disciples. Another, another side yeah. note, just on that, just was thinking of a beautiful thing is that everybody who is there is able to use their specific gifts. Uh, there's not somebody else who necessarily who's already doing whatever that they feel their gift is. So like we have one guy who's loves outreach stuff so monthly we he just figures out something that we do or uh, I don't know it just yeah. gives everybody an opportunity to serve well um, for the past five years before I took this new role that I'm currently in I, I served at North Central University love North Central and um, periodically did some adjunct teaching as well as working with development and church relations um, but while I was there this is where God allowed us to begin this journey about microchurch and so I would share with some of the professors there. And what was cool was one of the students, you're gonna see him here, he's our guy who's, him and his wife are leading a, our church in, in Duluth right now. God gave him a vision of a new kind of church and he shared it with his professor. And his professor said, you gotta to talk to Trent because that's what they're doing. And, and it's just been such a beautiful relationship and connection. Should, should we do Q&A instead maybe or before? Just, we only have like 10 minutes. Yeah. I, we, yeah. Maybe, I mean, yeah, because you can watch these. Here's, here's what I did. Um, we, if you go to crowdedhouse.church, um, go to that website, we create a podcast, and, and I, I recorded some of our leaders because I wanted to have some, some other people leading besides myself for you to hear firsthand. Um, it's you, just started. You're, you're going like to hear some of our leaders saying, you got to jump in. You got to take a step. If you're feeling like this is overwhelming, you just, if you're feeling God calling you to do this, take the leap of faith. You're going to hear another person saying, you're wondering how to invite people in he said we were just we were at at a restaurant and we felt prompted by the holy spirit to invite the host to come to our microchurch and they came so i mean th that's how i mean crazy things yep. i mean one of the yep. th uh, yeah I, I could so watch some of those videos and you can um i'm, I'm going to share my my here let me put this on here i'm not going to do the videos but you can watch them online so uh that's the website um, let me, um, here, let me just, that's my cell phone number. If you could, if you're interested, one of the things that we'd love to do is, um, we, we're going to do some training in the future about microchurch and we're going to be bringing on uh, just our, our leaders that we have, but some of them are in Duluth and so we're going to have a zoom link, but we want to do it in our home. So if you're in the twin cities. We would love to invite you to our house the last Wednesday of, of next month, of May. And we'd love to have you come and just 
be with us as we talk about things. And maybe we're going to do this on a monthly basis and we're going to have a Zoom link. So in case you're out of the metro, you could maybe join us remotely. But that's one of the things. So if you could, if you're interested in that or even just talking, man, I'd love for you to text me and your name and your email address. I would love to carry the conversation on because this this is my passion. I love talking in microchurch. I love dreaming about new ways that God is going to be doing some amazing things in the U.S. And you guys are going to be on the ground floor, I believe, of a new wave of what God's doing. And we are going to continue to celebrate and champion the legacy American church as well. But we're also wanting to try new things. So if you're in that world and you're interested, write down my cell phone number and then we'll do some Q&A here. And if there's not, we can show a video. Yeah. But just Questions. I wanted to. Yeah. What was the success of your first initial walking around your neighborhood? Yeah, no, that's yeah. good. Yeah, yeah. So then monthly again, I had, I had more the next month. I don't know. Um, so I just continued to build that relationship. So I did that for about six months, and um, I had like four people just talking about the home church concept that they all know that we do that. Um, and then COVID hit. And so we stopped meeting. Um, went, went Zoom. We went, Even with microchurch no, for I'm a saying, season. But our yeah. neighborhood, the neighborhood thing that I was doing, ah. we stopped meeting. Um, but then we started doing our microchurch out on our driveway because we had a few people who were um, yeah. concerned about being in our house. And so until what bad weather hit, we were outside and our whole neighborhood would walk by and kind of get to know people. Because we had to have the kids outside with uh, cornhole and... Uh, the ball thing, whatever, like ladder, just ladder doing ball, stuff, yeah. uh, whatever. Yep. Um, and so kind of just building relationships. I feel like it's it's been really slow since COVID hit. And now it's just, yeah. I'm excited for spring now kind of starting up again. We've had uh, three families that I've specifically invited. And they're like, yeah, that sounds really interesting. But it was like COVID was kind of the thing. And so yeah. I'm going to hit them up again once like we're all yep. outside to come again. And so I'm very hopeful. Um, so we haven't had anybody specifically from our neighborhood yet, um, but they all know what we're doing and they've all talked about yeah. it. And so they all kind of know. We have one group of guys who yeah, get together. I'll share to, that. Oh, okay. So, so the, I got invited to a, there's a, there's a bunch of guys who get together for micro beer on one night a month. And so they, the leader of the group invited me to, to come and I said, man, great. So, you know, I got my, my root beer <laughs> and, um, and I'm hanging out with, with these guys. And when you're a pastor, kind of the worst thing you want to be introduced as is the pastor, right? Because all of a sudden walls come up. And so, so Brian sees me come and, and Brian says, hey, this is, this is Trent. He's a pastor and he's doing something really cool. He has microchurch in his home. That's how he introduces me. But I had some amazing conversations with guys, uh, just helping them to think about the possibility of getting connected to a church. And these guys, once again, they, they, it hasn't happened for us like that. Like we want to see them come. We're, I really believe it will happen. I believe I it will. I really believe it will happen. Another thing is our kids have gotten really connected with all the kids. We're the neighborhood house that everybody yeah. comes to, our backyard. We, I came home one day and I looked in our back window and there were like literally like 16 or 17 kids and not one was my kid. And they're just all at our house because they know they can come yeah. over. And they go, we had to put a lock on our freezer because in our, in our garage they would go in and help themselves to popsicles because we would do it when we're there, but then they think, oh, they're not yeah. here, whatever. Like we're, we're the house that they all know is a safe place. 
And so I think we're kind of building on that. Yep. Our next door neighbors, we have a few neighbors that I really feel like are going to be our people of peace and our connection to some radical things happening. Our next door neighbors, we've just loved them. They are Indian and very Hindu. And the wonderful thing about that is they are so open to spiritual conversations. So we talk about God all the time. And our kids, the conversations, I wish I could tell you, that our kids have with their kids about spiritual things is just yeah. so phenomenal. Point being, I know for them it's going to take, I almost pray, I feel like something is radical is going to happen in their lives. And I feel like we are going to pray and the Holy Spirit is going to show up and they're going to get healed. Because everybody that I talk to that deals with Hindu or Indian, is they might add Jesus to their God, but for them to say he's the one true God is really, really hard. So my point is, they are our next door neighbors who I really feel something radical is gonna happen, and when that happens, I feel like our whole neighborhood might just shift. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, I feel like there's this right. all this spiritual groundwork yes. that we're laying, and it takes time. Yeah. Um, and in the same token, what we've discovered, for whatever reason, God has used up, we have people who are, who are leaders who've been coming and being a part of our microchurch for six months, and then they get sent yes. out to launch a microchurch after they've experienced what we're doing. And they are seeing radical healings. Like one guy, like he's walking down the street and the Holy Spirit's telling him, you got to pray for this guy because he needs healing. And he prays for him. He gets healed. They come to microchurch. I mean, that's, it's but not that's, happened for me. But I'm that's little, not happened once. That's probably happened four or five times in the past not, year. Another, there's this another couple crazy. here in Bloomington that's leading a group. And, and for them, it's been a multi-year process. I mean, they went to our group for like a, a few months to learn how we do this. Um, but they have had for a couple of years a relationship with a checkout person at Target. They go to the same person every single time. And when they started their microchurch, they invited that person to come to their microchurch, and that person came. So that's so. So we find ourselves often being used to train up leaders who are going and doing amazing things yeah. that we just love and celebrate So yeah, because there's four that are specifically like want to stay connected with us as ongoing training, but we've probably launched, I don't know, 10 or 12 because they come in and they learn and then they go out. We just love to Or they move else. So consult, we, we just feel like we're just here to encourage yep. people that God is laying us on their heart. Yeah. Other questions? Yeah. Great question. Yes, I thought that would be the first question. Usually it's kiddos, money, hospitality issues. That is a big one. Um, so I can tell you what we've done. There's a bunch of different things you can do. We love variety. We love variety Groups because here's, here's the bottom purpose. line, and this isn't what you want to hear. The bottom line is it depends <laughs> on the ages of the kids that you have and their church level coming in, I guess. So it really is going to vary. It could be a whole variety of things. Our ultimate goal is that the kids stay with us. And that is a process and that we had to train. We had, uh, I feel, so to back up, like we have had a whole circulatory, but the first year we did this, we probably, at a year point, we peaked at 28 people. And then we're like, guys, you got to go out and launch. And so we had a huge, 12 of those were adults. And we had that, whatever, 12, kids. 12, 14 kids. By the end of that time, we, there is some training with the parents and training with the kids and they were with, with us and they loved it. Um, I am going to tattle a little bit on my kids. Uh, it was hard at first in the fact that we had to clean our house every Saturday night to my level of clean. Um, and they were like, Finally, they're like, oh, why do I have to do this and whatever. And we had some really good training moments. Um, but here's my threat. 
uh, which this is terrible, and I don't mean I don't, oh, I shouldn't have said that. I said, okay, we can if if you guys don't help me, then we're going to have to go back to regular church, and you're not going to be able to connect with your neighbors and and invite them in the same type of way. And they were all like, okay, I've and I've never heard anything since from my kids as far as to clean because yep. they love how we interact. And the beautiful thing is. We have some older adults like uh, that their kids have left home and whatever, and they love having the kids in there and the insight from the kids. So my ultimate goal is the kids stay with us. And babies or toddlers, they run around to some degree. We have quiet toys or whatever, but there has been seasons depending on the age. We put on Superbook and we have older teenagers run essentially exactly what we do, but for the kids upstairs. And then they watch a Superbook. Uh, as, with, the Bible as the Bible portion, and then they go through, they retell it, and they say, where did you see God? How did he work in this? How does that apply to my life? They do prayer requests, and they do worship, and they do a game. And so it's you can train older kids or have an adult take turns and do a, a kid's service fairly simple, and they, they like it. Um, so my personal feeling is I love it when they're with us, or they're with us as long as they can be with us, and then they go. So they're often with us at the very beginning, the opening question, how did you see God this week? I want my kids hearing what happened, all these miracles and things that have happened. It is so powerful. So they're always with us for that portion. And most of the time they're with us for the Bible reading and retelling. And then the little kids, they then that's if they go, that's when they go. And then they do their whole thing or they choose to stay with us. They can stay with us. Okay. Yes. Like what I'll do, like I'll let our leaders know about Equip Conference. This year it didn't work for them to attend, but I, I let them know about the different district things that are taking place. And they're, yeah, they, they are so welcomed to a, a, be a, a part of everything that's going on with the district. Um, but I also know that as, as we have other um, groups that are involved and that, that start, that are another generation removed, they may or may not, because they may not ever even know who I am, but they're going to know who the leader is of the other group. And, and they'll be invited, but a lot of things that happen on a district level happen because of relationship. And so, it, so our goal is we really envision having uh, a number of leaders who lead microchurches, who are credentialed with the Assemblies of God, who oversee another handful of microchurches. But I'm, not every person who leads a microchurch needs to be credentialed so but there but my vision as we move forward beyond four and as we go to next generations we're going to have more leaders who are credentialed who um we've had issues come up of of um hey someone in our group is getting married uh, you like you don't know them but you know you're ordained can you marry them and and we're still working through some of those new challenges that we're trying to fit this structure into our current american structure with that kind of thing yeah. Just curious if you, you know, in kind of what you're talking about, do you guys have like a list of resources that might, you know, for yes. those of us who are maybe yes. used to traditional stuff and yes. kind of looking to say, hey, how can we implement this on a smaller scale? Yeah. I, I just read this book. I mean, this is one I just finished, and I have a list of probably about 10 I can read for you. This is called Future Church. Any of you ever seen this book? Uh, future, future Church. Um, it, it has a, a number of 
Christian thought leaders that you'll see in the back that are highly recommending this, like Randy Frazee, Alan Hirsch, uh, Carrie Newoff, Leonard Sweet. I mean, so a lot of uh, people who are futuristic thinking. And this actually gives a good pathway for a lot of programmatic churches that are currently in existence to think about what does the next 20 years look like to reach people in a different kind of way. Um, so I would highly recommend Future Church by um, Will Mancini and Corey Hartman. Uh, but there's probably and, eight or ten books that we're Right. You know, some of the books that were so impactful for me, let me just make sure I don't miss some of them. Um, There's a couple books from the Timothy Initiative that I mentioned. There's a, a discipleship training and then a, a church planting that they use overseas, which I, I really enjoyed uh, reading through. Um, there's an organization called Big Life, which is all about disciple making and uh, have learned a lot from them. Greg Ogden, just all of this stuff that Greg Ogden has written on disciple making. Love, love the things that he's written. Um, the Art of Neighboring is, is another great book. Um, uh, Francis Chan, Letters to the Church. I know that's a little divisive for some people, but that was interesting. I really loved reading through that. Um, uh, David Watson, uh, he wrote a book really talking about disciple making. I can't think of the title, but in there, he's kind of the, the author of, of Discovery Bible Study. It has been used all across the world. And, um, and I can't think of the title of it, but if you look up David Watson and you look up disciple making, you'll find that book. Yes. My wife just got done reading a book called The Gospel Comes as a House Key. Interesting. I've not read it. talking about practicing radical, uh, ordinary hospitality in our post-Christian world. Yes. By Rosaria Butterfield. Awesome. Her, her journey to faith is actually a really, because she talks about her, her journey to faith in the book. Um, but she talks about how basically she came to faith through a, a, yeah. a movement like this where people gathered for dinner and different stuff. And so that would be a really good, good yeah. thing to add to it. My, my, my grandmother in North Dakota uh, was introduced to the gift of the Holy Spirit in a, in a house church setting in rural North Dakota, like my, by McCluskey. So I thought that was, yeah. Yes. No. Yeah. No, that's great. Yes. You want to pray for us? Go for it. <laughs>